Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I am one of your hosts, Sabrina Justison, and I'm here with Vicki Tillman, and we are delighted to be talking about all things homeschool high school. This episode, we will be discussing how to customize one year of high school literature. We have often referred in other podcasts and on our blog to how wonderful it can be um, to create a year of literature for your high schooler that doesn't fall into one of the automatic, expected, assumed categories like American Lit or Brit Lit, but how you can create a year of wonderful reading and learning that fits a specific interest that your child has or a career pathway that he or she is exploring or ties into other subjects you're learning. So today we're going to talk about some of the nuts and bolts of how you can do that and feel confident about what you're doing. So customizing one year of high school literature. Yes, exactly. And part of the reason we've been looking at this topic is because I have been in the process of making (laughs) a plan for a year of high school literature. So it's making the best of what's going on right now in our lives. That's right. It's kind of like combining credits on the high school transcript. (laughs) Getting lots and lots of of, um, production out of your effort. So, yeah. And the reason I'm doing that, I'm going to be returning to teach in our local homeschool umbrella school for high schoolers this year. And I have not been doing that for a couple of years since my youngest graduated and my official career as a homeschool mom ended. So you're an Omega mom. I'm an Omega mom. That's right. When you graduate your youngest from high school, you are an official Omega mom. That's right. That's right. So yeah, my my last graduated two years ago and I took that time to change a little bit the direction in my life because life brings different seasons. Indeed. And it was a season to do some other things, to focus on the curriculum publishing at sevensistershomeschool.com. Indeed. was a big thing. Mm -hmm. And to work on some home things and some family things that um, required additional time, some renovations on our house that just couldn't happen while we were still homeschooling. So that was neat, and I did not really have a plan for going back to the Umbrella School, but life has seasons, and things change, and I learned of a need that they were going to be losing a lit teacher for the coming year, and prayed about it, and there you go. I'm going back to talk about books with teenagers, which I love. How fun. And so you found out, again, that a mom's mind plans her ways, but God directs her paths. And so thankful that God directs our paths, because we can do a very nice job planning, but it is God who can really see us through and provide for everything that is truly of worth in our lives. So the kids are all excited that Mrs. J is coming back to teach literature again. Well, we hope they are. If they're not, we hope they'll keep it to themselves. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm sure the old timers have let it loose. You know, Mrs. J's coming back. You're going to be in good hands. We have a good time. I love discussing ideas teenagers. I just think that it is Mm -hmm. one of the most fun things you can do. Indeed. So let's talk about the ideas that go into the planning process for the parent 
who is creating a customized year of high school literature. Indeed. So let's start with the, the global, the conceptual. Why would one want to do this when there are plenty of in-a-box, ready-made, here's a year's worth of literature curricula available? And Vicki, you have the many years as an academic advisor for lots and lots of families. So why would a family want to customize a year? Probably because their kid doesn't fit in a box. Oh. Because there's not one right way to homeschool high school. <laughs> and all kids are different. Kids have different callings and different interests. And you're homeschooling, so why not do what's best for your kid? So when should you consider doing this? Is there a, a right time and a wrong time to do a customized year? That's a good question. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> The right year is yes. So, so I mean, senior years are fun years for that. If they've already exhausted, you know, Brit Lit and American Lit and World Lit, if they just want to explore some of their own interests, or if you've got a kid who just isn't ready to settle down and wants to mix and match things or just take something that fascinates him, then lean into that for a year. So there is actually no rule in the universe that literature must be taught in a certain order. So if a family had, let's say, two kids in high school at the same time, and they wanted one of those kids to do American Lit in the ninth grade while the other kid was in the 11th grade, could they do that? Imagine that. They could do it at the same time. Wow. Yes, yes you know, you do have that freedom, homeschool moms and dads. We just want to remind you that you're in charge of your homeschool. God gave you those kids. Indeed. So, good stuff. All right, so the the when might be any year that it seems to be a good fit. Right. And one of the reasons that we are going to explore um, for possibly wanting to do this is to fit your literature study to another subject area, like history. Indeed, yes. And uh, so we'll talk more specifically about that a little bit later in the podcast. So let's start with the basic framework then. We've got our why. We've decided for whatever reason that this is the year that we want to do this. And now we have to decide how many books. We have to find out which books would be a good fit for this and narrow that list down. We have to put them in order and create some kind of a syllabus and accountability for ourselves and the students. Um, so let's start with number. What What is a smart way to tackle this how many books do I put on this list thing so start with what you're doing there with the umbrella school so how many books are you planning to work on with the kids I am looking at 15 titles and that is because the way our umbrella school class meetings work we meet once a week and we take a little time off around Christmas and when all is said and done we have about 32 meetings throughout the year so that gives us two weeks per book on average with an extra week here and there for a midterm and a final exam. So that's how I came up with it. I just started with the squares on the calendar and I worked backwards. And so for your average college prep or average kid, that 15 is a good number. The older they get high school-wise, they may want to add to that. And this does not necessarily mean that those are the only books that end up on your kid's book list. You bet. Mm -hmm. So they'll also be reading titles of their choice, titles that fill in um, learning in other subjects that they're studying. This 
This is the list of books that you are assigning as mom and teacher and principal and whatever else you are to your high schooler and you are requiring them to read at a demanding level, not enough to kill them, but enough to challenge them. And you are recording the learning that's happening there with either a study guide or a paper that will be written or a project of some sort. So this is, this is what's proving that that big, hefty language arts credit on the high school transcript actually had significant literature learning that took place. So what you're doing is you're tying their reading to their writing. So they will be writing based on what they are reading. Exactly. So for that endeavor, 15 or 16 titles works well for a lot of kids. Now, I say titles. Some titles are 500-page titles, and some mm -hmm. titles are 175-page titles. And both of those titles might very well be upper high school level reading that's challenging and worthwhile, but some books just take a lot longer to read than others. So how do you balance that out? Well, again, those calendar squares come in mighty handy. I look at the year, and I try not to have two 500-pagers back-to-back. Because the poor little rebellion, <laughs> the poor little deers just might mutiny. If yes, they, if they see that. And I also factor in things like at the very beginning of the year, if I have students in this group class who are not accustomed to me, perhaps we should start with a little bit gentler book, a little bit less intimidating book. Mm -hmm. Let us all get to know one another. Get used to how study guides are going to work and how class discussions are going to work. Um, coming into Christmas. The last two meetings before Christmas is, in my experience, not a great time to have a really heavy book assigned. Nobody can concentrate. No, including me. Yeah. <laughs> and right near the end of the year, I'm going to have them preparing to take a cumulative final exam. Not so much because literature desperately needs that, but because teenagers do. They need practice taking cumulative exams, especially those who are college-bound. And that is one thing that we have heard from a lot of our homeschool grads who went on to college, that they wish they had had a little bit more practice in taking a cumulative exam at the end of a course where they had to pull way back from September and remember a little bit about those first couple books they read. So we ought to do a episode... An episode, an episode, an episode on how to do cumulative exams. There we go. All right. Note in the margin yes, for a future yeah. podcast. So yeah, when they're getting ready for their final exam near the end of the year, it would probably be a little insensitive to have one of their hardest books also being read at that same time. So maybe some fun <clears throat> books towards Christmas and towards the end of the year for sure. Exactly. Exactly. It's nice to also try to alternate a longer, meatier title with a shorter, less challenging title. So they get a little bit of a breather in between the big ones. And then I have to choose which things we're going to read abridged and which we're going to read unabridged. You mean they can read an abridged version of a really big book? You know, they actually can, and it can be a very worthwhile, challenging experience. You mean the world's not going to split open and they're going to fall into the center of the earth? earth or... I can't absolutely yeah. guarantee that there will be no splitting of the Earth's core, but in my experience, it has never happened yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, in fact, we learned an interesting fact the first time that I ever taught uh, Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. 
I chose to use an abridged version of the book. Because studying a bit about Victor Hugo and the publishing industry in his day, I learned that he was paid by the word, and he intentionally put in extended sections of many, many pages describing things like the structure of the sewer system under Paris that really had nothing to do with the story. It just made his book longer, so he got paid more. He also had a long passage about the many uses for the chemical compound found in pigeon droppings. <laughs> and that was just not something I felt, I felt like discussing with the teens. So we went with an abridged version. And they still had a really challenging read. And wonderful writing assignments flowed from this. But, um, yeah, you can choose to use an abridged. So they got the story without the pigeon droppings. <laughs> That's right. I think that we were all relieved to avoid the pigeon droppings. Oh, my. All right, so we've got books. Uh, we've got a number of books that we're shooting for. And we know a rhythm that we would like to hit on our syllabus. How do we find actual titles? That's a good question. Where are you looking for all of those books? Well, I'm cheating a bit because I've taught this class twice before <laughs> over the years. <laughs> but if I recall correctly, when I first put this together, I started with the almighty search engine, and I just typed in um, best classic works of literature or favorite classic books. And there are so many people who love lists, and they put yes. them on the internet, and they talk to all the people in their book clubs to get everybody's favorites, and they just dig this stuff. So you can just use someone else's research, and you can find uh, wonderful um, suggestions. You can also look at some of the in-the-box curricula that are out there and see what they include. What does this or that or the other publisher include in their um selections for a junior in high school or a senior in high school. So there's not one right way to pick out your book list. You know, it's funny how that works because there's also not one right way to, to homeschool. homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of freedom and it's wonderful to pick people's brains. And honestly, for this type of brain picking, the internet is a mighty wonderful tool. So Google is your friend. Google is your friend. Goodreads is your friend. You can read little people's little snippety reviews of things. Um, you learned of a new resource recently. Yeah, there's been a lot of buzz about Give Your Kids the World, which is a book of lists of books from around the world. I have not checked that out yet, but now that I know about it, I'm going to. Not that we're affiliates, it just no, sounded interesting. it just sounded interesting. interesting. Um, if you were going to focus on a people-heavy area, you would want to look for biographies of people in that field. Missionary biographies is Missionary one place to look. Wonderful. And if it's things that are going to tie into, I don't know, pursuit of veterinary medicine, that have them read some biographies of some of the pioneers in that field. There's there's all kinds of wonderful people stories like out there. Like all creatures great and small. Oh, yes. Uh, how about current events? What if you have someone who is paying attention to the world around them, and you want to tie their literature to that, what can you do? So kids can keep track of current events and log hours 
and uh, pull those hours over to world history credit. So they combine maybe a world literature and a world history or an interest credit. You know, so have a current events topics very literature. Good. So Very good. You can pull in other things, um, fine arts, electives, things like that by uh, incorporating music, even just free music on Pandora, but that is of a particular genre that ties into the books that you're choosing for lit and what you're studying in history or some other subject area that fits. So you can really make a rich um, dovetailed learning experience over the course of a year. So you can end up combining credits. So you have your, your book list that the kids are reading for literature, but if it's in an interest area, if there's some kind of arts that you can visit the museum and get some fine arts credit logged or some world music or cultural music that fits with the literature, that's a good thing. Very good. And it, it's so nice when you see them take the learning out of the little um, little spot that we've put it in. Where This is a part right. of your book list for your language arts credit. Okay, and it is. But when they take that, for example, if you're going to read Victor Hugo's Les Mis with or without the pigeon droppings, you can <laughs> then also explore the musical version of it that shook the world and then created a cinematic blockbuster. Indeed, they should do that. And they get exposed to all sorts of other things. And then if you have, like, a couple of my students who are very interested in fashion, you can then take that into an elective where they're studying the clothing from that period and they're designing dresses and, and men's coats and, and all that are from that, that time period. Um, so now suddenly it's gone into something very unique and a matter of personal interest. And meaningful to the student. I want to be in high school again. <laughs> it sounds like fun, yes. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then take field trips out of that, like Vicki was saying. Um, if, there are, if there are places that can help bring that to life, that's going to take that book that perhaps was just words on a page and turn it into something really, really meaningful for your teenager. And if they had like an interest that was a career-based interest and they spent 15 books reading on that topic, you could also expand that into career exploration and shadow someone who was in that field and do some research. Maybe a good research paper for the year on that topic. Excellent. Excellent. So certainly research writing could come out of it. All sorts of other types of writing should come out of the reading that your kids are doing as you create this customized year of literature. And you want to make sure that you include the obvious categories. Essay writing. So many books lend themselves to very, very easy, obvious essay topics <clears throat> where students are having to support their, their thesis, not just um, spit back a bunch of facts that they read in the book, but take a position and then using evidence from the book support their opinion on that. So that really builds some inferential skills, not just comprehension. Did you understand the reading, but can you build on the things that you learned in the reading? And that is such an important thing to be encouraging during the years of high school. That's not something that you just learn how to do and now you know how to do it. 
you have to practice it. Mm -hmm. And to do it little bit by little bit by a little bit more by a little bit more through those four years of high school. By the time they've graduated, they'll be really good at it. One of the lovely things to consider as you're creating your year of lit is how can you share and talk about these books? And if you're going to just have your teen do it as an independent credit, then you'll at least want to be familiar enough with the book that you can have wonderful conversations with your child about it. But if possible, look for some other people. Do a co-op class, or even if you're not going to do a co-op class, Agree on one or two of the titles that you'll set up a mini book club for so that your teen gets to talk about what he's reading with some other peers who are also reading it. So maybe one or two kids and get together and have lunch and chat about various like angles on the books? Absolutely. It does not have to be anything fancy or formal. Mm -hmm. It's just really good to help our kids talk about what they've been reading. So what are some things your kids did when you're doing this class with the homeschool groups? Well, we have had a lot of very entertaining. I, I thought they were entertaining. The kids looked entertained. They weren't yawning and they weren't angry. And in many cases, they were actually fully engaged and laughing. So I assume that, that they sounds, were enjoying it. That sounds a good marker. Mm -hmm. um, so we would try to pull things that, that fit with the study guide that we were completing for each book. So some of the books are all of the books you did a study guide? For all of the books for the syllabus for this class. So not for every book on my kids book list, but for the 15 books that I've chosen for this year of lit. Yes, there's going to be a study guide that accompanies each and they're going to each one is going to be slightly different tailored to that book. But it's a way to document the learning that's taking place and primarily from my standpoint it's a way to help the student focus on one or two literary elements that are really strong in that particular title. So if you are reading a book that has just incredibly rich, round characters, I want to help students notice how rich and round those characters are. And we won't perhaps worry as much about the arc of the plot for that one because we're focusing on characters and I don't want to fry their brains by making them analyze every element. So you don't want to kill a book. Don't want to kill it. There's a good chance if it's a good book that they might go back and read it again someday. So they could, get, they could get something else out of it the next time. Indeed. That's okay. So we try to take something in the study guide to sort of focus in on and then from that very easily activities grow out of it. So for example we read H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man. And we learned about Griffin's experiments with invisibility and how being invisible did not quite turn out the way he thought it would when he came up with this wonderful idea. And so then we spent some time in little, little groups in our class, uh, two or three kids at a time, taking some piece of technology that is very commonplace in our homes now. Of course, cell phones are a no-brainer. That was an easy one. Um, microwave ovens, um, backup cameras on cars, <laughs> just picked random technology things that are commonplace. And then we had each little group play that out. So where might that go wrong? How might that turn into a train wreck that could completely wreck an entire town if something <laughs> awful happened? I bet they had a good time with that. <laughs> they had a very good time with it. And they, they ended up with some of the most outrageous ideas for how our technology should be slightly tweaked to either take it 
away from, or in some cases, they wanted it to move toward the train wreck even faster because they thought it was funny. So that was an inferential skills activity. It's not a wasted time. It was fun, and they learned, and they will never forget that activity they either. They will probably never forget that activity. And yeah, and hopefully it was really encouraging them to think in the same way that H.G. Wells thought before he put pen to paper. Because he didn't just say, hmm, I'm going to write a story about this guy who finds a formula for invisibility. His, his thought that caused him to want to write it is, if someone was invisible, what kinds of problems might that actually mm -hmm. create? And that, that was the whole process that the author had. So we're helping bring the students into that process. Um, we read Plato's Republic, and then we had to think about if I were going to have a desert island on which I was creating an ideal society, what five things would I absolutely have to have for my, what I imagine as an ideal society to exist? And we got some very peculiar things on those <laughs> lists. The things that they felt were necessary. But the whole point was you could put anything on the list you wanted as long as you could somehow defend it. You had to be able to articulately defend your choice. I want to point out that that was an abridged version of it was. Plato's. It was books one and two of Plato's Republic, not the entire thing. And books one and two, it's great. Teenagers can do it. They, they will be intimidated by it and you will probably have to hold their hand and speak soothingly to them. <laughs> but books one and two, yeah, actually, you can do it, and it's very empowering, especially for the kids who are a little bit interested in sociology and politics. Um, yeah, and once, philosophy. And philosophy. Once we got started with it, the other kids in the class who were not digging it, they caught the enthusiasm yeah. from those kids. When my son was in that class, and he really enjoyed Plato's Republic, which really surprised me. And one of the things that got him sold on the book, besides your enthusiasm, was he found someone to read the book out loud with. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah, so he, one of his peers in the class, and they would go back and forth reading it. So it made some, some of it was difficult material if you didn't read it out loud anyway. Mm -hmm. But they got to laughing, and then they got to thinking and talking. So it was absolutely a wonderful experience for him. That is great. That is great. What are some of the things, Vicki, you've taught lots of literature over the years. So what are, what are some of the things that you'd like to bring into the classroom? So one of the things that we have done in the group classes is to introduce a theme from the book with a YouTube video that isn't from the book, but is that same kind of theme. So one of my favorites is um, thinking about other people. And, uh, and the acts of goodness and serving and sacrifice. And so often I would show them the Good Thai YouTubes, which is T-H-A-I. Thai as in Thailand. Yes, right. it was a, a Thailand insurance company or something. Did wonderful little stories that are about two minutes long about doing nice things, good deeds. And it really got conversations started, and it was a good way to introduce those kind of themes in those classes. Excellent. Yeah, so taking something that absolutely has nothing to do with the particular title that you are reading, but is exploring the same ideas and the same themes and, uh, and giving them that point of connection. And that helps them read the book then. If you said, yeah. how about you look for this while you're reading? 
Or look at for the opposite mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've got reluctant readers, that's a really powerful tool. If you give them permission and say, okay, it's not cheating for me to say, as you begin this book, just look for this. And right. every time it happens, see if a little red flag can go off in your head saying, ding, 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 I noticed it happened again there. That is a wonderful, empowering tool. Um, let's see, what else did we want to talk about? Oh, you can you can tie what you're reading into um, personal character development and career exploration. And we even did a personal mission statement activity with kids after we read uh, Animal, Animal Farm. Farm. Yeah, because yes. we talked about mission drift. And then we gave them the idea that God has a mission or missions for them here on earth. And you used sevensistershomeschool.com's writing your personal mission statement guide with the kids. And they all wrote their own personal mission statement. So they got something very personally powerful out of a mission drift kind of idea from Animal Farm. Right. Yeah, really neat. When you see when you see the uh, the rules on the side of the barn in Animal Farm being changed during the night and suddenly it affects absolutely everything. And when we put that in terms of the personal application, not just for a whole society, but for an individual, what happens if the rules on the side of your barn just get changed? Hmm, how is that going to impact the choices that you make and the relationships in your life? And you could just see their eyes light up. They grabbed onto something because we made it personal. It was Not very just powerful. abstract. Yes. Yeah, that was exciting. That was exciting. We had a lot of fun when we read um, The Right Stuff, and we explored the idea of the new journalism. And we talked about how in the new journalism, uh, events are written about with accuracy in the way that you would hope a newspaper journalist would, would write, but they are written to intentionally evoke a particular type of response. And so it's not propaganda, but it's um, an account of something that's happened that is being told to really try to grab you in a, in a particular way. So there's definitely a bias or a slant. Definitely. Like we see in news today. Wait, you mean the news is not completely objective in all reports? Imagine that! <laughs> Yes, and especially in this day and age with the internet and with social media and with, unfortunately, some people getting all of their current events through a social media filter, which is a terrifying thought. Yeah, it was, it was fun to, to draw some attention to that. So we had the kids write an article about a recent snowstorm. And in one of them, they were supposed to, we had to cancel co-op classes for that day. And so they, uh, two groups wrote cooperative articles and the one group was supposed to write the article, making it look like the moms who had chosen to cancel that day were just angelic, and they were saints, and they were protecting the poor little children who might have been hurt in the snow. And the other group um, recounted the same effa- uh, facts about the event, but that the moms were all lazy and were bums and wanted a day off, and they were tired of co-op. <laughs> and so we had these two articles about the snow day that were both accurate in terms of the list of facts we gave them, But boy, were they different in slant. So the kids got an experience in discernment. Oh, yes. And not just immediately taking what they read. Exactly. Yeah, so maybe that was some powerful character building and life skills stuff there, too. Indeed. Our society sometimes lacks discernment, I've noticed. 
Uh, final thing we want to talk about, this idea of combining credits. We've referred to it a lot this episode, but can you just kind of sum up what do you need to think of if you're the parent and you're planning for a year where you're going to combine some credits? You don't want to be cheating. No. So how do you appropriately think about this is what I'm going to do to maximize our learning efforts but not to in any way be putting something on the transcript that was not earned. That's a really good thing to think about. So in case it gets too confusing, check out sevensistershomeschool.com and just search combining credits, and there's several posts on that. But I'll give you a little bit of overview. So if you're doing a topic that's very specified in your literature, the papers that you write, uh, your teenager writes, you can log hours on those papers and use those hours for, like if it's a, a world history credit, to add to your world history or geography, or if there's a very specified career exploration or some other elective that they're trying to build a credit on, you can log the hours from paper writing. Um, you can add to it your museum Field trips, if you can do fine arts and then pull that over for some more world history. So, yeah, check out the post because it gets complicated. If they read a certain number of books, that builds in an extra credit too. So, they may end up just off of their book list earning at least half a credit or more in career exploration or whatever topic they're really leaning into. So, there's ways to honestly build two credits at the same time. So, yeah, check the posts out. SevenSistersHomeschool.com combining credits posts. Very good. Very good. So as we wrap up this episode, we just want to encourage you that it is okay to create a customized year of high school literature. You have years where you need to do American Lit, and you have years where you need to do something out of a box because that's what's best for your family. And you have other years where you need to not do that because there's not... One, one right, right way, way to, to homeschool. homeschool. And there's not one right way to decide what will be your literature credit for the year. And for moms who want to use a study guide with their young people that really leans into inferential skills and has project ideas and vocabulary and a good price and is adaptable yeah. and no busy work, Check out sevensistershomeschool.com and look at our literature guides. We have guides to accompany a lot of titles, and we also have some of them bundled for a year's worth of literature learning in one area or another, or a la carte. You can pull this title and that title and add them to other things that you're doing. We want to encourage you every episode here on the Homeschool High School podcast to embrace the different seasons that come through your homeschool, to Embrace the uniqueness of each of your children, if you have more than one. Indeed. To let life throw you curveballs and it still be okay, and you move with them and respond to them. And whether that is about choosing curriculum or whether it's about changing the rhythm of your entire household with a job change for mom or dad or an um, opportunity for a teen that throws what you thought you were going to be doing at this point into a bit of a tizzy, and you have to make those decisions. Um, it's really okay. Life does come in seasons, and things change. Indeed. And when things change, it can be really helpful 
to work through that change very intentionally and to get some help to work through that change. Don't just let life knock you here and there, but instead seek the Lord and take measurable steps toward the goal that you really do want to reach. And so when you find yourself in those seasons, I'm just going to put a shameless plug in here for getting some coaching. Coaching, I, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let plug? Vicky run with yeah. it. Yeah, Vicky knows a little bit about coaching. So if you'll contact me at VickyTillmanCoaching.com, I work a lot with moms and students in life transitions and career exploration because that's one of my jobs. So vi- visit me at VickyTillmanCoaching.com, and we can talk over Skype and over emails. Very good. Very good. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with what coaching is, go to Vicki's website just to find out. It is not the same thing as, here's a step-by-step, you should do this and this and this. It's about discovery and about God's leading and about developing skills. And there's some good resources. Excellent. Excellent. There's even some free resources, aren't there? Indeed, there are. All right. Wonderful. So thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to the next time that we meet with you. You are our seventh sister. Indeed. And we are tickled to be your big sisters and talk about all things homeschool high school here on the Homeschool High School podcast. (laughs) From sevensistershomeschool.com, brought to you by the wonderful Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hey, and hop over to iTunes. If you would, leave us a review and some stars. We like stars. We love stars. Yes, help other homeschoolers find us. If you think that our podcast is helpful, then perhaps they will too. Indeed. All right. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.